Welcome, listeners, to www.ironradio.org, the website and podcast for all things strength sports and sports nutrition. With your hosts, Lonnie Lowry. Remember, Phil is like a gnarled old oak tree held together with scar tissue and bone spurs. Rob Fortney. And I'm telling you, the pain that I would suffer was beyond excruciating. And Phil Stevens. Do it, Rob. You'll kill all those nerves. Thanks for listening. Hello, everybody. We got another episode of Iron Radio, and well, this is Phil Stevens. I'm leading you off today because Lonnie is out gallivanting around the country. So I'm Phil. I'm a powerlifter, Highland Games athlete, coach. I run Strength Guild, uh, the Barbell Open, a bunch of other things. So. Awesome. I'm Dr. Mike T. Nelson here, uh, reporting or coming in actually from Jacksonville, Florida. So I'm down here uh, presenting for the NSCA CPT conference, which is pretty fun. <laughs> Uh, I run Extreme Human Performance, uh, did the course creation for Eat to Perform, did a couple of stuff for them, uh, some other stuff coming up next year for the Kerrig Institute, Teach Online, and other random stuff. There you go. How's the, uh, the NSDA thing going? Strength and Muscle Sport News. Oh, How many days good. It? Yeah, they had the pre-con going on yesterday. And the hands-on session was good. Got to see uh, Nick Tumanello talk about some rope stuff. Uh, Dr. John Mike was there doing presentation on overhead pressing. So, yeah, that was good. And then I saw Marie Spano's talk this morning real quick on five common nutrition questions. So that was really good. I always love listening to her speak. And uh, Dr. Jose Antonio is presenting right now on uh, basically protein is not evil. (laughs) (laughs) High protein diets. He had a new study that just came out. We've talked a little bit about that in the past year. And then, yeah, I present tomorrow on uh, metabolic flexibility for performance and body composition. There you go. Yeah, I just saw that. Somebody posted a, uh, like it was a year long study that pretty much saying protein wasn't evil. Right. Well, yeah, <laughs> pretty so, much. Yeah. So, go figure. That's good news. <laughs> good news for us all. I think we kind of knew it, but it's nice to have, uh, like you see, you got to have the science behind you. So, Oh, yeah, um, totally. And that's, you know, one of those things we had a whole bunch of data. I know Lonnie's done some data on that, too. And it's always nice to see, you know, longer term studies and all the nice little sciencey stuff we like just to, you know, just to confirm what we think is going on. Because if it hasn't really been studied to that degree, not really know for sure. And something may be different. Yeah. So. Well, we're going to kind of have fun today. We're just going to bounce all over the place. And I figured today we will start. We had a, uh, a listener email. So we'll start there. I'll just say it's the the guy's name is Michael. He wrote us last year asking for advice about entering his first powerlifting meet. He said we were all very generous. He decided to do his first meet at 43. Amazingly, he won his age and weight group. He expected to be intimidated by the other lifters, but instead I was shocked at the genuinely the gentlemanly decorum. Everyone was humble and welcoming, and they made me feel like I belonged there before the first lift even happened. I was shocked at the atmosphere. I can't wait to do it again. It was nothing like a normal gym culture. Perhaps Phil can comment on why this is so different since he exemplifies this. Um, I think I think it's because even though powerlifting seems big now, and that's, I think it's because we have social media, mm-hmm. it's still a very small niche sport. Oh, yeah. Compared to... Compared to like baseball, basketball. So once you're in, you're kind of in. You're part of that group, and and uh, you know people kind of take you under your wing, and it's you know you're 
it's not as small as say Highland Games, which is the same way. But you know, you're you're part of a, a smaller group, and it's like we kind of help help our own out. I think is what it is, and everybody wants to see. We we were we were all that first lifter, and we know how we hope to be treated, and maybe some weren't, so they 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 look to change that. But um, yeah, I think I mean from what I've seen in general, there's there's bad people in anything. But 99% of them are just good people that are willing to help you out. So, And you're all there in a, a weird little fight against gravity. So um, we, you kind of cheer each other on. Even you see that with lifters that are uh, in the same weight class, potentially going against each other in a meet. Mm-hmm. Generally, generally, they're cheering each other on. Like last night, I had two of my lifters, my junior lifters. What I do sometimes is... is um, well, basically, I walked in and said, "Okay, you guys are going against each other. Whoever gets the biggest total gets a free, free T-shirt." Nice. Uh, and it it pushes them, and they were both cheering for each other to do better. But uh, you know, it also that that little bit of competition helps. So, um, yeah, I don't know. I think I think part of it though is, like I said, it's just it's that it's still the niche nature of the sport, and uh, you're really not directly going against each other like you would in say a boxing match or something like that. It's, mm-hmm. You, know, you guys are both fighting the same enemy, which is gravity. So, uh, you know, helping each other out in, in that is is just kind of the way it goes. But Yeah, and a lot of the gyms I've even been to, I've done, you know, probably three meets in total in the past. I haven't done one for a while. I did a strongman one about two years ago, maybe a year and a half ago now. Um, and it is it is very, I think, intimidating just to kind of walk in. I remember the first meet I, I did, I didn't know anyone there. I didn't know anything and the guy was working with um he's like oh yeah and you have a singlet right this is friday night and the meet was locally saturday mm-hmm. i'm like uh or no <laughs> so i'm running nice. around to like sports authority trying to find one i can you know wedge into and you know, all this kind of stuff because i'm like well, i don't want to you know put all this time and effort and miss it just because of something yeah. stupid like that um, you know, but you get there and I didn't have anyone to do a handoff for me. I didn't know anything. And, you know, one of the guys that had run a bunch of meets locally said, you know, Hey, if you need a handoff, you know, just let me know. And it was super cool. And he's like, okay, you know, make sure you listen, you know, for the commands, just relax. Mm-hmm. And he walked me through, you know, the whole thing and you know, he didn't have to do that, you know, but yeah. he, you know, obviously saw I was utterly freaking clueless, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, and you just see that where. Yeah, and I think with like you said with social media and stuff now, it seems I don't know. I guess more popular, but even if you go to bigger meets, whether it's a strongman or Olympic lifting or whatever, there's really not that many people there. You know, I mean, mm-hmm. you compare it to how many people show up for like you said for a baseball game or, or mm-hmm. things of that. And the other part that I really remember too is the second meet I did. There was a, a woman in the crowd, and it's. It's different, I think, when you go to a meet, too, because you have to obviously perform at that day, at that mm-hmm. time, and to walk up and do it in front of a crowd of people. So I'm mm-hmm. just used to lifting in the garage by myself. And I remember this one woman was just, like, yelling and screaming, and and I thought, wow, that was really cool. And I talked to her afterwards, and I'm like, I'm looking at her going, do I know her? And she's like, no, you just looked like you were kind of nervous and needed some help. I'm like, well, mm-hmm. that was very cool. <laughs> <laughs> she didn't know me at all, you know? Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. No, that's good stuff. I just had something in my – oh, no. And I, this led me to think about, um, you know, the small nature of, of powerlifting and this and that. Let me, I always hear it in the gym. It's like, 
one of my kids or one of my lifters was like, yeah, but I'm just, I'm just not, not that strong. Yeah. And this, that. And again, it's due to the, you know, we're virtually very close to very strong people now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? But, and that's just explaining to them. I mean, if, you know, if you're a 15 year old kid and you're squatting 250 pounds and you weigh 150. Yeah. Freaking strong! Yeah. You know, you're stronger than 99 percent of 15 year old kids in the world. You oh, just know yeah. these other ones. You know, you just know about these other ones because of social media now. Yeah, you know, and it's realizing, and that's the same thing with with any of my clients. It's like I got 60 year old ladies squatting 150 or whatnot. It's like you are stronger than 99 percent of your peers. Yeah. <laughs> you know? yeah, it's just skewed. You're skewed due to the the crowd you run in. You know, and so I mean that's that's kind of part of it, but. Yeah, and I think you'll. It's the old thing of my two words that I just despise right now are optimal and perfect. You yeah. Because people are like, "Well, I'm waiting for the optimal time to do it, and I just need to get stronger." And it's like, "Well, but yeah, you can always get stronger." Mm-hmm. You know, and they're like, "Well, they're gonna laugh at me," and I'm like, "I don't, yeah. I don't know. I've never seen that." I, you know, mm-hmm. the second meet I was gonna do was supposed to be a push pull, and then they didn't have enough registrants, so they said, "Well, you either do it as a full meet, or you can't do it." Mm-hmm. I had some hip issues and stuff like that, so I'm like, okay, so I guess I have to squat now, which <laughs> I wasn't planning on, and I remember the announcer, he's like, you know, I have the total up there, and I complete the rep, like, probably, like, four inches below parallel, and mm-hmm. he's like, good lift, plenty deep, <laughs> Yeah, and my squat was less than my bench press, you know, yeah. but... If you wanted to do it, that was the only option. You know, yeah. Because if you miss so. the squat, then you're out of the meat. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it'll ever be perfect. No, and that's that's one of the ongoing jokes at my gym is, like, I never say perfect. When somebody hits a lift, it's like, ah, not bad, not bad. And they're like, yeah. <laughs> you know, and that's, yeah. <laughs> that's pretty good. You yeah. Know? And it's, uh, yeah, I just, I, I don't believe in that word. And it's because we can, we can always get better. But, uh, you know, we're striving for, for for perfection but you know if you ever get there then why even keep going i hit the perfect yeah. spot well i retire now because <laughs> i can never do better than that <laughs> um hey we'll move on he's got more parts of this question but i just wanted to hit up on that um he's uh i come to you today with my pledge for the fall funds drive and a hearty thank you and another question as i understand it new lifters Make some strength gains with neuromuscular adaptations, but as a lifter advances in strength, he or she needs to add muscle mass. This is how they get stronger. So I'm wondering, for advanced athletes who are weight stable, by that mechanism, do these athletes gain? By what mechanism do these athletes gain strength? If that athlete adds muscle mass, he or she will weigh more, and yet. We see athletes staying at the same weight class getting stronger. So how is this possible? Please explain for a polyscience major from a state school. I'll let you start off on this one. Yeah, so that's the classic kind of cross-sectional area versus kind of strength, right? So initially, and there are textbooks that say this, that when you start a training program, it's more of a neurologic type adaptation. In essence, there's multiple things going on with that, but the I think one of the the big ones is if you've never to say deadlifted before, it's going to take you a while to figure out what is quote unquote good form, right? And you're basically if we look at rep one to even rep ten in your first session, 
they're probably going to look quite a bit different compared to an advanced lifter. And there's some fancy biomechanics studies that have looked at this too. So you're also kind of practicing something a little bit different each time. You're trying to figure out what points do you get better leverage because, you know, even a small movement with, for example, the deadlift makes a big difference in terms of leverage and things of that nature. Um, there is some question now about is, so classically we would say that, well, you know, for the first four, six, eight weeks, it's all a neurologic adaptation. You can't gain any muscle. I don't know if I go that far anymore. Um, there's some newer research that's showing that maybe it's probably a combination of both. Um, that's kind of where I'm leaning towards a little bit, but I haven't had time to take a deep dive into that research yet. Um, and for experienced lifters, like we see this in, you know, relative strength, right? So relative strength, especially if you're competing in a weight class, then you want to be as strong as possible by whatever measurements you're using. So power lift, say squat, bench, deadlift, you know, if it's Olympic lifting, it's Olympic lifting. Um, and if you can increase sort of the neuromuscular side or the neuro side, then you can get stronger without necessarily having to add muscle. Um, the other parts that I think people forget is that most people who compete in a weight class or at the high end are also very lean, right? So if you trade five pounds of fat for five pounds of muscle, hypothetically speaking, you're going to weigh the same, but I think you have the potential to be that much stronger because you're adding, you know, yeah. contractile tissue. Um, the last thing on that, uh, I talked to a researcher a couple of weeks ago because the, the old thing, and I to a degree that I was much more in this camp, and now I'm in the point where I'm not really sure, is that if you add more muscle, right, so cross-sectional area, you will be stronger. And that, that at some point, the only way you can get stronger is to add more cross-sectional area. And so he's going to send me a bunch of research I'm actually going to go through and look, and his argument is that's probably not as true as what we think. Mm -hmm. So the short answer on that is I, I think you c if you add more muscle... I think you definitely have the potential to be stronger. Do we know exactly how much that that transfers? Eh, I don't know. Um, there is some stuff that uh, Greg Knuckles has sent me looking at cross-sectional area in strength increases. And anecdotally, we also know that, uh, like Kendrick Ferris, for example, for Olympic weightlifting, you know, as far as I know, and you probably know more on this field than I would, I think he's putting up much bigger total now than what he did before, but he's also in a heavier weight class too. Mm -hmm. So usually in general, you see people go up to the next weight yes. class, they move more load. Mm -hmm. Now, is that a thing because they've been doing it longer, so they're more you know, neurologically efficient? Do they have you know, more you know, weight maybe to counterbalance some of the moves? Is it just actually more muscle? I think it's probably all of those, but mm -hmm. what are your thoughts? Yeah, I think it's I think it's just that there's so many things going on there at one time. I think it's part of it that that neurological change doesn't stop after five weeks. Oh, you know? for sure. Yes. You know, we keep neurally getting better. I mean, they've done tests on, you know, the average person versus an elite power lifter or weightlifter and just the amount of muscle tissue they can fire at one point is much greater than the average person. That takes more than six weeks to learn. Mm -hmm. you know? So it's years of that. It's refining technique, like you were talking about, just a little bit of technical change here and there. Let's take you take a really good athlete, keep them the same weight, and refine their technique to where it's even better. That 
you know, in turn, the bar, the, they're not stronger, but the weight on the bar goes up because they're technically better. You know? They basically they, have better leverage. They're able to display their strength better, mm-hmm. yes, because they have better leverages. Um, getting leaner slowly over time. But, I mean, I would argue I don't see I don't see people at the um, the advanced level who are, like, um, when I'm talking advanced, I'm talking the top, making huge jumps in their strength uh, and staying weight stable. You know, most of the ones I'm seeing, they're off-season, they're going up in weight, they're getting stronger, and then they're coming back down. You, you've got to forget, or, I mean, I think a lot of people forget, especially in powerlifting, in a lot of these feds where you have a 24-hour weigh-in. Oh, yeah. You know, Jim Smith might have been in the 242 class, and, like, the day before last time, he only weighed 247. This time he was weighing 270. Mm -hmm. Oh, and he cut down to 242. So while the scale weigh-in says he's the same weight, he was actually 15 pounds heavier. You know, so because, and then he just, you know, water depleted down. So you got that going on, too. Um, so these athletes are actually bigger. They're just making them weight. Um, and that happens to an extent in weightlifting, not as much because you have a two hour weigh in, right. but you'll still see somebody gain five pounds of muscle can be a lot, you know, and if they drop five pounds to make weight and before they were in the same weight class, but they were light, that could mean, that can mean huge numbers. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, I mean, there's a lot going on there. So, um, and generally, I mean, I have people stick around weight classes for a while, too, as long as their lifts are going up. But, yeah, you're going to take a jump up eventually. And this is this leads into one of my notes here that w- what I wanted to talk about. Um, it's very new today to see people hanging around these lightweight classes for a long time. Um, and I think it's a lot to do with well, maybe a little bit to do with raw lifting. But I think it's a lot to do with just the culture we live in now and people wanting to be lean and small and look good all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas before, let me find my quote here. Uh, <laughs> I don't want to I don't want to botch it, but uh, I have one from uh, Vasily Alexiev. So <laughs> uh, the time to look good is when your competition days are behind you. Then one must work on physique and look good as one wants. But during your competition days, a lifter must have a midsection that can stop a bullet, not giving any care to how they, how aesthetic he looks or pleasing to the eye he can be. Um, and he was and not he, very aesthetically pleasing, but ungodly strong. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and it used to be what uh, what you used to see more was a lifter. I don't know. Let's just pick a weight. They'd start out at 150. Mm-hmm. And they'd be in that weight class for a little while. And the next thing you know, okay, now they're 181. And they'd be there for a little while. And then, okay, 220. And there was this onward, you know, as they got better, they got stronger, they got bigger, they slowly went up to a weight class. Uh, you're seeing people kind of stick around and try and uh, – they're, they're staying in these lighter weight classes longer. And I think this is where a lot of the records being broken are happening in those lighter weight classes yeah. because people didn't stick around in them before. You know, they kind of use that as a jettison to go to the next weight class. So they didn't like, I'm going to stay here in 181 and just try and get as strong as I can. They didn't do that before. They hit 181 on their way to 220. They hit 220 on their way to 242. It was just kind of their next stepping stone. And that's why you saw the huge records in the 242, 275, 308, you know, 
those other classes were just a stepping stone up to the big ones. Um, now you're seeing people stay there and dedicate years to a class you know, and break records there. So, um, you know, that's, that's one of the differences, I think. Um, just more time spent there. The more time, if I spend a decade being, you know, 220, I'm probably going to slowly get stronger and mm-hmm. break some awesome records. But, I mean, so that's kind of one of the things you got going on is, uh, you know, just people people trying to be leaner and stronger instead of just, I'm going to get freaking huge and lift giant weight. So, um, yeah, and I think there's no. more of a resurgence of relative strength. And like you said, for um, powerlifting, just in the lower weight classes, like if you go back, like maybe even five years ago, man, if I knew a 165 weight class lifter, that he was pretty rare. You know, now, yeah. Christ, I could name probably five to seven just locally off the top of my head, you know. Yeah. So you definitely see a, a lot more. And a couple of them I've talked to are, one guy in particular, you know, very, very strong individual, and he's kind of, you know, I think topped out at 165, but mm-hmm. it's also, I think, harder to go up to the next weight class, especially when you know what the totals are and that type of thing, because mm-hmm. it's a little bit like being a beginner again. Yeah. You know, you're kind of starting at the bottom, and you got to kind of slowly go up <laughs> on your way, too. Well, that's what a problem I see, though, is a lot of people end up sticking out these lighter weight classes too long mm-hmm. when they're at, when their frame is built to be something bigger yeah you know so i mean you saw that we've seen that with some of our weightlifters with kendrick ferris stuff like that yes at a certain point it's better to take that jump and it might set you back six months but in the long run you're going to be you're going to be better off and Mm -hmm. um i think for a long time in powerlifting it was kind of skewed because um well for for a long time there it was it was equipped lifting was the thing and if you shove if I gain 15 pounds of even fat and I shove that in my same suit <laughs> that I wore before, yep. I'm essentially stronger. You know, I just put 70 pounds of potatoes in a 50-pound bag, so that bag fits really tight. Um, so you don't see that now, but, I mean, it's in the end, it's still mass does move mass, and there's a reason why bigger people are just stronger in general. You know, <laughs> as far as trained athletes, if I take a... If I take an elite 181-er and an elite 308-er, the elite 308-er is going to be stronger, maybe not pound for pound, because mm-hmm. you know those numbers kind of go out the window as we start reaching the the human threshold of what they're able to pick up. You see that bell curve kind of start to even out, whereas yep. you don't get for every pound of body weight you put on, you don't get to add a pound to the bar anymore. Um, but you know. It's kind of this 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 curve up, and it's I don't know. I mean, people have different mindsets. You know, I was always the one. I was like, I want to see just how much I can move. I don't care what I weigh. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm going to eat. I'm going to train. I'm going to see what I can move. But and then there's other people. It's neither one of them's wrong. I just hate seeing people that like get stuck on a on a weight class, and then they're like, it's been a year, and they've only added five pounds. And it's like, man, if you just gained ten pounds, mm-hmm. you would be so much stronger. <laughs> but you're afraid to eat, you know, and that's that's weird for me in athletics. And I mean, that's <laughs> one the, that's one of the things we got into in that conversation about uh, that quote was, you know, I don't think Vasily was saying become Jabba the Hut, <laughs> but it's like eat, eat for your sport. And I've seen it in other sports as well, where people are trying to stay too lean at the detriment of their performance. Mm-hmm. Uh, most people 
walking the planet do not perform best at a low body fat. You know, it's some there's a few outliers there that are just jacked, naturally lean, but usually you're going to carry some kind of body fat. Um, where that is for you, it depends, but um, it's it's finding that level. But anyways. <sighs> one quick thing on that too. I, I think in the past, especially before a lot of social media stuff, you only really saw or heard of like the super heavyweights and you know the new total they broke. Yes, you know, yeah. like you were saying, now you can, you know, you have guys like Dan Green and other guys who are you know very lean, but you know pushing pretty big loads, and mm-hmm. that's kind of the new sort of in kind of the strength, more aesthetic type thing too. Well, and one thing that cannot be ignored is the the high amounts of pharmaceuticals being used compared to 25 years ago. Oh, yeah. And that's not, you know, you're, you're an idiot if you think that's not playing a, a role in it. You know, and that's what I mean. Even you go back to Ed Cohn's day when he was uh, the top dog and still potentially the, he's the greatest of all time. Mm-hmm. There were drugs. The amounts were much different. Yes. You know, so, I mean, that does play a role in the ability for a person to stay lean and stay lighter and be stronger. So, yeah. yeah. And I'm kind of waiting for the next revolution of people that go back even further, like even to like the 1930s, 40s, and 50s, you know, before, you know, Diana Ball was probably the main steroid in 1952. Yeah. You know, so, you know, back then people, you know, unless there's a few outliers, weren't really using anything, um, but looked very good, were generally very strong. Were they as strong by powerlifting standards now? Yeah, probably not. You know, but they did a lot of other things. They could do gymnastics, hand mm-hmm. balancing, all those sorts of things. And I think if you pulled the average person off the street for just pure aesthetics, I think people would agree that they liked that sort of look even better. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. And well, you're seeing some resurgence in that a bit, mm-hmm. I guess. You know, multi-sport athletes and things like that. But yep. Um, Oh, let's hit on two more things and then take a break. Uh, Kratom, I don't want to – we got like a, an email like, I can't believe you guys didn't mention that. Well, we're going to mention it now. They lifted the ban. So really? <laughs> at least, at least huh. temporarily. Well, yeah, I was going to say it's temporarily from what I saw. Yeah. 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 So at least temporarily it is lifted. Um, so I know it's back for sale now so everybody can get their Kratom again. Um and, yeah, who knows where it goes from here, but it's pretty interesting to me. The interesting part about it is apparently just uh, enough people that bitched about it, that, that at least for now, uh, they listened. So we'll see what goes on from there. From what I hear, it's just a more tests need to be done type of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, we'll see how, how it leads from here. But, uh, you know, I'm not up enough on it to, to, to tell you, but I figured we'd at least put that bit of news out there. And then... And I was actually pretty surprised that they did that, because historically, they don't listen very well. So to yes, me, that's exactly. actually a really good thing. <laughs> yeah, they can't exactly. just randomly try to ram stuff through without anybody knowing anymore. So I think that's actually a really good thing. Yeah, I agree. And I was really surprised they did that. Mm-hmm. Um, the last thing I wanted to dump or to talk about here before we go on to some listener questions was... Chris Duffin hitting his uh, he had a goal of hitting a thousand pounds from for more than one rep and he did it for a double like 2.75 reps is kind of what they say <laughs> uh, so there's a neat video out there where he's talking about it and he's like you know I didn't put this out there during it because well, he just didn't 
You know, and he, there's a film after, and you can see the people from the Guinness Book of World Records come in, and they weigh every plate afterwards and things like that. Um, but, uh, you know, props to you, man. That's badass. Yeah. <laughs> sure if it is with straps and, and sumo, you're still picking up 1,000 pounds yeah. for more than one rep, and that's pretty awesome. Oh, so, yeah, uh, especially on a deadlift for multiple reps. So, and he almost had that third rep. Um, oh. So... Uh, yeah, I mean, there's going to be people bitching like, ah, oh, sumo, so he's cheating. And, you know, I, I take my time and I like poking at my, my people that are sumo deadlifters about being cheaters, but it's, it's all in fun. You know, you're yeah. still freaking it up. And the, the fact is everybody's leverages are a little different. I have lifters that are, that are horrible at conventional deadlift because of the leverages. Mm-hmm. And then I'm people that is not very good at sumo because of my leverages. So, uh, you know, you kind of pick which one is, is good for you and. Yeah, so badass. Now let's see if we can do his thousand pound squat. You know, so I know he had talked about that yeah. too. And I think um, is, I, I could be wrong, but isn't he the first guy to sumo over a thousand pounds? I think so. Yeah. Well, he's definitely the first person I know of to do it for more than one rep. Oh, by far, yeah. Because <laughs> so, um, yeah, Benny was conventional, Bolton was conventional. Yeah. A lot of the strongmen only pull conventional because sumo's yeah. outlawed. So, yeah, yeah, so, that's crazy. Yeah pretty badass so um we'll take a short break and then we're going to come back i know we've got at least a few listener questions so go from there hey listeners this is dr lonnie lowry if you've ever had anyone critique you Uh, on your protein intake as part of your weightlifting lifestyle. Oh, you poor meathead. All that extra protein is going to rot your kidneys or weaken your bones or dehydrate you or give you gout or who knows what. Uh, There is a book available. You could simply Google CRC Press and Lowry. And what I've done is reach out to experts all over the world and create a book, a single compendium that you can hold up and say, this is why I consume extra protein. This can be very valuable when you're um, being quote-unquote educated uh, by various professionals on the topic. Uh, There's an enormous amount of literature in this book on the safety, uh, the effectiveness, how protein works in cells, the history of protein and weight trainers, uh, much more. So again, please check out CRC Press and Protein and Lowry. You can just Google that. And uh, I do, full disclosure, I do make a small single-digit royalty on the book. But that's not why I did it. I did it so we can all have something, uh, our particular population, uh, to both defend what we do and to inform our nutrition and our eating. Thanks. Fall and soon winter will be upon us. As the holidays approach and your thoughts turn to giving, please consider your friends here at ironradio.org. Over the past several years, there have been hundreds of listener comments hoping that Iron Radio stays on the air for years to come. Iron Radio is here for you. But as with any public radio type format, the show is listener supported. That's where you come in. For just $4 per month, you can become a supporting member, keeping your weekly dose of education, experts, and gym talk flowing. Just go to www.ironradio.org and click on the $4 monthly subscribe button near the bottom of the page. Or click the donate button at the right of the page for a one-time donation. You are the Iron 
brotherhood and sisterhood. Thanks for helping to create a place for better internet programming for all strength and muscle sports. And happy holidays. Hi, this is Dr. Lonnie Lowry. And on behalf of Phil and Rob, I'd just like to let listeners know that if you love us or you hate us, We'd like you to leave a comment or perhaps vote for us on iTunes. It helps us out quite a bit on the popularity side of things. Uh, You can also follow uh, Dr. Lowry, me, on Twitter. Uh, It's Lawnman7 on Twitter if you want to do that. We also have a Facebook page, the Iron Radio uh, listeners page. So uh, whether it's leaving a comment or voting for us or following us on Twitter or Facebook – uh, that would be fantastic. Also, uh, occasionally Rob or myself will write an article for another website, and Phil will as well. So lots of ways to um, interact, uh, follow us in other media, and vote for us and uh, keep things going strong on Iron Radio. Thanks. Like your weekly fix of Iron Radio? In addition to being a popular institute on iTunes, we are also on email. Simply go to www.ironradio.org and sign up for the voluntary email. You'll get a once-per-week email, no more, that's little more than the show notes and a link to the audio. So go for it. Hey, what's going on? You're listening to Iron Radio here with Dr. Mike T. Nelson, Phil Stevens. Lonnie is out doing whatever Lonnie does, some uber nerd stuff or driving in his car in the middle of Bumbletown nowhere, I guess. (laughs) So we've got some random questions that came in through Facebook and other sources here. Um, So I'll start one off here from Jason Perrin. He asks, uh, variations of a deload do you think they are important for hypertrophy as they are for strength gains? Hmm. I'll start and then I'll hand it over to you, Mr. Phil. Yeah. Uh, I would say they're probably less important, but in reality, the programs I've done for uh, a couple of natural physique competitors and, you know, most people I work with are want to perform well, but also have, you know, want to look good too. I tend to run the the deloads or tapers really almost the same way. I don't really make any huge distinction from that. I have noticed that some people don't get as beat up by hypertrophy work, uh, myself included. Um, but you know, even someone who's like a, a physique athlete, I still have some strength component in there. It's not 100% hypertrophy all the time. Um, so I've just noticed that there's more variation from one individual to the next individual. Um, than I have as much of their training goals. You know, I've got uh, some guys, uh, one guy who's uh, working to qualify for Raw Nationals again. He does pretty long, I would say, it runs, you know, eight some weeks or plus. Sometimes he's got up to 12 weeks. And we monitor his heart rate variability and other indicators, and he usually does pretty good with that. Uh, most of my average clients are probably in the four- to six-week area because um, I tend to you know start off really slow and then tend to push it pretty hard over that and then pull back again and that seems to work pretty good Um, i also know part of that is that people tend to get bored doing the same thing over and over too so there's a little bit of 
trying to incorporate some, you know, variety and things of that nature in too. So, what's your thoughts, Phil? Yeah, I mean, uh, well, I'm weird in that I, I'm kind of like you. I don't. If you're a distance client, there's many times I will go ahead and and schedule in a deload. And that's because I'm not right there to see what the hell's going on. Right. With my people on site, I really don't have a scheduled deload. Um, oh, interesting. What we do is I watch them, and as long as they're, as long as that iron's still hot, we're going to keep pushing. Mm-hmm. Once I see things start to go, if that goes for numerous sessions in a row, now we're going to lower things down, let you refresh yourself a bit, come back, hit it hard again. So we'll kind of, I mean, I just don't. If, if things are still going well, why are we going to slow down? Mm-hmm. You know? So, um, yeah, that's kind of what I do. But as far as hypertrophy, and and I'd say, like you said, it's more important for strength, strength work a bit. But, I mean, the only thing I see is a lot of times with hypertrophy work, people taking a week off and, like, getting just deconditioned, if you will, can, when you come back, you're, like, you're almost wrecked with soreness again. Oh, sure. That's what you're looking for, and you see that as kind of a – some people, like, crave that and train off that well, like we've talked about before. And, you know, maybe that can kickstart your vigor into pushing it hard again and things like that because a lot of people just get wore out, like you said, from doing things over and over again. So so maybe a little bit of time off of not doing anything, even if it's just a placebo effect or just re-energizes them to come hit it hard again, it can be a good thing. So, I mean – yeah, I know Brian Haycock way back in the day. I remember reading he had some stuff on me called HST or hypertroph- hypertrophic specific training, I think. Um, and he advocated taking like a longer kind of deload every once in a while. And by deload, I, if I remember correctly, exactly what you said, very like almost no work at all. Mm-hmm. And his the thought process then was like exactly what you were saying, trying to to get some of that soreness again. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. Um, Dr. Brad Schoenfeld's here. I'll have to pester him and some other guys here about that (laughs) and get their thoughts because we know now that soreness isn't as related to hypertrophy as we used to think, but it's definitely still one of the the components Mm -hmm. with that. So, We'll go on to Nash. Nash Keegley, he has a question about coming back from a major injury. I ruptured a major, a pec major tendon off the bone at the end of January 2016 and had it reattached a few weeks later. I progressed to the point where I'm stronger in the 70 to 80% range than I was previous in pre-injury. At what point would you guys say it's safe to attempt a 90-95% weight again? I don't have a meet until January 2017, so I'm in no rush. Thanks. At this point, you're, let's say it happened in, you had your reattachment in February. March, May, June, You're eight months out. Yeah. Yeah, you're eight months out. If as much as I know about reattachments of tendons and things like that, it's as healed as it's going to get mm-hmm. at this point. So what's holding you back is your mind. So it's when you know I think you can start easing into that and see what things feel like. Don't do anything stupid. I mean, you've hit seventy to eighty percent. I'm not saying go up to one hundred and five today, but you know, slowly go eighty five. That feels good. Next time, go ninety. You know, and start hitting some. If you're stronger in that 70-80% range than you were pre-injury, then honestly, 100% isn't your 100% now. Yeah. So you should be able to hit those 90 to 95% ranges pretty fairly easily and get some get some volume in. Hit six 
to eight singles, stuff like that. Get your head back behind you is what I would say because that's going to be the number one thing. When your head's not behind you, you don't move right. Um, so you'll move funny. You need to get your confidence back with fairly heavy loads, meaning 90% plus, um, before you try 100%. Um, that's what I would do. I think you're ready. I mean, as far as I'm not a doctor, but everything I know about all the <laughs> the uh, tendon tears and stuff I have, I've had, but uh, at this point, it's not going to heal any more than it is. So, yeah, I would agree with that. I mean, I know uh, Coach Chris Summers has said something like that. It's I think around nine months for soft tissue turnover. And granted, he's at a repair, so I mean that's a little mm-hmm. bit different. But yeah, I I agree with your answer and. You know, just see how it feels, you know, make sure you know, technique and everything is there. And mm-hmm. I like what you said about doing some heavier attempts, but doing it for multiple sets, yeah. right? So, <clears throat> excuse me. So even if you're only doing like uh, an easy single, you know, maybe one week you come in and you do it twice and it mm-hmm. looks pretty good. And maybe you do it yeah. three times, four times, five times, six times, you know, you mm-hmm. can just add volume there you mm-hmm. know, just as you get more comfortable and, you know, that'll transfer too. Yeah. If you can do, you know, nine sets of a really nice, you know, pretty good speed single, yeah. you're definitely stronger. You yeah. Know? You don't need to go for that 100% until the meet, really, in yeah. July of 2017. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, yeah, you're good there. But this is a tough one here. William Jim, I'd like some advice for dealing with a left shoulder and upper middle left back injury. Hmm. Well, the problem with that is we don't really know what's going on. But injury. Uh, yeah. So we need, I'd say, find out exactly what it is. Um, go to a doctor. The shoulders are a pain in the butt. You know, it might be something, <laughs> it might be something that needs cleaned up. You know, it really might. There's a lot of people that have shoulders that, that are cleaned up over time. Um, without looking at your training, I would say more rowing. More pulling movements, mm-hmm. over pressing movements, because that's where most people are guilty. If they have shoulder pains, uh, they have an imbalance in the anterior. As for you know, the posterior is not as strong, so that's one thing to look at. Don't do anything that hurts. If it hurts, freaking stay away from it. Um, there's a bunch of other things too. Like I, I have a hell of a time pressing overhead, but I can press. I can do dips. I can do bench. I can do mm. so. I stay away from that range of motion a lot. And then when I go to that range of motion, I go light and, and keep just wrap it out. So Do you find for you like dumbbells are better than a bar? Is it the restricted path? No. I, I jack my shoulder all up. Uh. So like, like I can – I did this the other day. I did a 115-pound dumbbell strict for a set of five with my left arm. I did 45 pounds with my right. Oh, weird. <laughs> so, yeah. the, the right on the hip stuff? No, it's from jacking my shoulder up. Oh, okay. So, um, <laughs> yeah. So I've got a I got a shoulder that's pretty tore up, uh, mm. but and it'll eventually need fixed. But um, yeah, for now I'm okay with it. But so yeah, I mean, find out what it is before we can kind of say what's going on. I need we need to know more about it and what it is. So. Yeah. The only thing I would add too is a real quick kind of dirty test you can do is. Uh, I worked with a, a guy a couple of years ago as a natural physique competitor, had all sorts of um, shoulder issues on, I think it was his left side, if I remember correctly, you know, couldn't even bench press, you know, 20 pound dumbbells without pain on an incline press. And then, you know, it took us a while. I think it was like probably almost nine months, but, you know, we got him back to setting, you know, PRs with like, I think a hundreds or one fifteens or something for reps, something crazy. And 
the big thing with him is that he had been to all sorts of different physicians, physical therapists, and they said, well, the shoulder looks fine. So he had, you know, the x-rays. I think he even had an MRI at one point. And structurally, everything in the shoulder was fine. And so what we did was we found a lot of it was actually referred or seemed to be from his right hip. So one test you can do is check your external rotation on the left side. So kind of like you're bringing your hand out at 90 degrees, like a stop sign kind of. And then check your right hip for internal rotation. So basically the direct opposite. And what I find a lot of times is that people are severely lacking the internal rotation on their right hip if their left shoulder is not getting that full external rotation. Mm. Um, And, you know, just work on the internal rotation. There's different ways you can do that. And then just see if it transfers. You know, can you get more external rotation? Does that kind of reduce some of the pain? You know, again, that may not be what's going on here, but I've had I don't know how many clients now and I've even got people referred from, you know, very top-level clinics in Minnesota, which I won't name, um, that the orthopedics and everyone becomes very hyper-specialized on only one joint. You know, mm-hmm. I'm the shoulder person, I'm the knee person, and, mm-hmm. you know, by all means, if I ever need an ACL replacement, I'm going to go to the best damn knee mm-hmm. orthopedic person I can possibly find. Yeah. But when you're doing more of the rehab and more of the general movement, you still have to look at the entire body as a whole too and make sure that it's not something else going on somewhere, you know, like in the right hip Mm -hmm. that may be making the shoulder worse. You got any more? Um, I've got one more here. It says, uh, looking forward to seeing some work I'm doing on ketogenic diets. Um, So I did a point counterpoint. Uh, for Dr. Andy Gilpin's, um, basically his section in the journal for the NSCA. So that was approved and peer-reviewed. So that'll be out probably in three to six months, so people can look for that. Um, He said, have you ever heard of Ray Pete or looked into any of his work? If so, do you have any thoughts on his views? Uh, I haven't looked at anything Ray Pete's done for quite a while, to be honest. I looked at some of it probably like two years ago now, and... Some of the principles I could figure out that he was talking about, I, I think were good. Some of them I thought were batshit crazy. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, a lot of the support for it, at least in the handful of articles I read, was a lot of animal data. And I'm all right with people using animal data, but you should say it's animal data. And, you know, if you're uh, Dr. Brad Schoenfeld and I had this big discussion over Mexican food last night about you know, when is it safe to speculate versus non-speculate and that type of thing. Um, but as far as I could tell, he took a lot of pretty heavy extensions with things. And I don't know. I can't figure it out, to be honest. And I know some people that follow a lot of his stuff, and, you know, they seem to have gotten better. So if you're better, that's cool. But I don't know. Some of the other stuff I just can't quite wrap my head around. So I'm for right now, I think uh, I'd don't know how much of that I would take without doing a lot more further research. I got nothing to say because I don't know who the guy is. So yeah, <laughs> I I used to have the um, some of the people that would follow his stuff because one of his big things, if I remember correctly, and someone can email me if I'm wrong, but that fish oil was bad. Yeah. And I had one guy in particular that used to send me these long tyrants about fish oil and how it was evil. And I remember once I had some posts of probably a couple of years ago. 
And I went to bed, and because sometimes I won't be on Facebook for you know mm-hmm. a day or two at times, uh, or just briefly pop in here and there. I uh, get up the next morning and checked it like later afternoon, and I think he had replied to himself six times. Holy moly! <laughs> and the last one said, "Well, if you want to keep taking fish oil, you might as well put random bullets in a gun and play Russian roulette." Oh wow! I'm thinking with fish oil. Yeah, that's like the one thing we probably have more data on that and creatine in terms yeah. of sports supplements than like anything. Anything, and yeah. almost all of it is positive. Yeah, you can find a few studies that weren't really the greatest and weren't uber positive, but I haven't seen a boatload of fish oil studies that are bad for you. Yeah. So, so. yeah, so you get some people just have these weird thoughts that get stuck in their head, and there's probably not much you're going to do to talk them out of it. But yeah, I'll take we got- chances of fish oil. I got to get out of here, but we got two more that we'll hit real quick. Uh, what are our thoughts on super sex? Uh, super, super sets. Sex. For, oh, yes. <laughs> uh, super sets for strength purposes. Can they be an effective tool to build strength and keep some conditioning, or are they not ideal for both at once? Um, I'd say I like supersetting assistance work. Mm-hmm. It saves time and it can keep you in shape. I mean, but I'm also one of those people that don't believe in strength athletes that are just worthless and can't walk upstairs so <laughs> um, i want my athletes to be uh you know in shape too and because it, generally if they're in shape they recover better from hard training sessions so yeah i mean there's nothing wrong with you know hit your hard stuff and then pick up the pace on your assistance work keep your heart rate up go through it it's just assistance work um so yeah i think that in that i mean i think it can help you build strength because you're your conditioning's a little better. Your ability to recover is a little better, which in turn helps you add strength a little better. Yeah, um, well, quickly, I would generally agree. Although um, for some people who I know want to turn everything into a freaking circuit training session, mm-hmm. I will do like a I got from Caldeets like a biometric method. So I will force them to wait till their heart rate comes down to a certain point. And with assistance work, that's anywhere from. 85 to 110 beats per minute it's you know you don't have to come all the way back down to 60 mm-hmm. um, but you know some people i know want to i had to measure their heart rate in between and it was like 150 140 135 and i'm like it's not really lifting now you're doing more conditioning work and if you're doing it for a conditioning thing or more of an aerobic thing through lifting okay but you know if you're doing it to get stronger then i think you probably need to drop the heart rate a little bit there yeah Last one we'll touch on is warm-ups for old people. <laughs> They're calling us <laughs> old. <laughs> no, there's two guys here that uh, yeah, they find warming up and recovering to be much more difficult as they age. Anything specific is warming up. I think as we get older, and we probably should have started it younger, just a general warm-up is probably a good idea. Like for me now, it's I get on a bicycle. If I'm going to squat or deadlift, I get on the freaking Aerodyne, and I just get everything lubricated and moving you know, and generally warmed up, and it makes me feel better. You know, and I think maybe if we had done that when we were younger, eh, maybe it would help, you know, stave off a little injury or something or, but I don't know. I mean, that's hard to tell, but yeah. I think just getting generally warmed up is a good idea. So, yeah, I would agree with that. Yeah. I think people tend to take it sometimes a little bit too far. Um, and I also use that as an indicator as to their training and lifestyle. You mm-hmm. know, if they're, if they have to get to the gym 45 minutes before they can lift anything, Mm-hmm. Boy, unless they've got a, a lot of injuries they're working around, something's going on. Their program's off or their lifestyle's a mess or, or whatever. Um, I was up to an hour and 25 minutes at one point in my life before I could lift anything. Yeah. And I was an utter freaking disaster. 
Yeah. Um, but I think, yeah, just you know, even like taking more warm-up sets, you know, mm-hmm. even just pull 405, they take your time, go through your warm-up sets, make sure it feels, you know, if 185 doesn't feel good, just repeat 185 then again. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. Don't force many it. Times, there's many times that I'll hit and repeat the same weight yeah. over and over again until it feels right before yep. I go up again. So things like that, just make it feel right before you, oh, I got to go to 405, so my next step is, you know, 275. Well, no, yeah. hit 225 again until it feels right. Yeah. <laughs> you know? uh, so, yeah, things like that. But let's call it a day. I got to get out of here. Yep, sounds good. So, thanks, everybody. It's All been right. See you guys. Hey, listeners, have you seen the store at ironradio.org? There are three halls in the store, one for Phil, one for Fortress, and one for myself, Dr. Lowry, and they're thematic. So you can go into our Halls of Iron store and choose based on your goal. If you need something to learn or read or something nutritional, you can look in my store, uh, Lonnie's store. If you want something about injury prevention uh, or competition, then take a look at Phil's Hall of Iron. And if you want something about motivation or daily training, Fortress's Hall has what you're looking for. There are some fun heroic descriptors uh, as you browse through the stores. We try to make it a little more fun than the average boring online store. And whether you're a novice lifter or someone more experienced, you can take heart that you're not wasting your time. The things that we put in each hall of iron are actually based on our own recommendations. Protein powders that we know to be good, uh, knee sleeves, wraps of some kind, things that Fortress uses in his own training. Uh, The stuff you see, you know is good. This way you don't waste time. So check out the Iron Radio store at ironradio.org and um, let us know what you think on the forums and certainly you can request products and we will uh, screen them before they go in. So thanks for listening. Iron Radio is accepting donations. If you like what we do, the professors, the scientists, the bodybuilding show promoters, the athletes themselves in powerlifting and bodybuilding, um, Please consider making a donation or maybe buying something from the ironradio.org store. Uh, We also are accepting supporting members. So for $4 a month, which is frankly less than the bank sneaks out of your account in fees, you can step up and support a form of sort of public radio for the bodybuilding and powerlifting and strength community. The Iron Radio podcast and all of the audio on ironradio.org is for informational purposes only. If you're interested in starting a diet or exercise program, it's important to check with your physician. Also seek the help of registered dietitians, athletic trainers, and qualified exercise physiologists in order to make the progress that you need.